Well, happy Easter once again. I hope you enjoyed celebrating Divine Mercy Sunday yesterday. We are going to look at Acts chapter 2 to uh, use, a, use for our Lexio Divina today. Just like the last weeks, we'll read it through once, have a period of silent reflection where it's helpful to place yourself in the scene, ask yourself what's going on, how would I have felt, uh, what is the Holy Spirit doing in this scene. Then we'll, after that, I'll read it once again, and you'll be able to respond with a word or phrase without elaborating to allow that to hit deeper in your own heart, but also the hearts of others. Then finally, we'll elaborate and be able to share some deeper reflection after that. So with that, we are going to jump in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in different tongues, as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem. At this sound, they gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded, and in amazement they asked, Are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how does each one of us hear them in his own native language? We are Parthians, Medes, and Elamites inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya near Cyrene, as well as travelers from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty acts of God. They were all astounded and bewildered and said to one another, what does this mean? But others said, scoffing, they have had too much new wine. You may now want to pause this audio recording for a time of silent reflection. Perhaps imagine yourself as one of the disciples or as Mary. Place yourself in that upper room. Uh, I've been in the upper room. It's not a very big room. Imagine that it's kind of hot and stuffy, not a lot of ventilation. You've been there a long time. You feel kind of pent up inside, but you're also afraid to go out. Then imagine the rush of wind as the Holy Spirit comes and suddenly you have this new burning fire within you and you're able to speak in a language you never spoke before. Imagine this for a moment of silence before I read the passage again. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. 
Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem. At this sound, they gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded, and in amazement they asked, Are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how does each one of us hear them in his own native language? We are Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya near Cyrene, as well as travelers from Rome, both Jews and Greeks, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty acts of God. They were all astounded and bewildered and said to one another, what does this mean? But others said scoffing, they have had too much new wine. You may now want to pause this audio recording in order to pick a word or phrase to ponder. Okay, let's close in prayer, and then we'll jump into our talk. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus, thank you for the, the gift of your Holy Spirit, uh, the day of Pentecost that we'll celebrate uh, near the end of the Easter season. Help us to um, really ask for the Holy Spirit's present in our presence in our lives um, as we stay at home or work in essential jobs. Help us to be filled with peace and joy and to be able to be an inspiration for others as well, uh, to know your call in our life and to feel your presence. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, one uh, study that I highly suggest is The Wild Goose by Father Dave Pavanka. Apparently, um, in some cultures, they consider the Holy Spirit to be the, the wild goose, so that's why that has that title. Uh, but it's really good. It's on Formed. So if you log on to Formed with our free parish access, then you'll be able to, to see this really good series. I think it has 16 different half an hour videos if you want to dive more into the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. Uh, I asked a lot, or I received quite a few responses about my asking for input for our next study. We will do a study in May. It's I'm, I'm leaning towards the saints um, based on the feedback of several people saying that studying the saints would be really helpful right now but there's still time to give input. So if you'd like to, please send me an email with your thoughts about what you might need spiritually after Steadfast and Hope ends. We'll probably have a week break between Steadfast and Hope ending and then the next one starting. Uh, but we'll see, what, see where the Holy Spirit leads. So today I want to talk to you about the life of St. John Paul II and how that can be an image of spiritual renewal for us as well as uh, an example of following Mary and of divine mercy that we just celebrated yesterday. And I wanna start with these words. Let your spirit descend, let your spirit descend and renew the face of the earth, the face of this land. Now us as Americans, when we think of John Paul II, we often think of famous quotes such as, be not afraid or open wide the doors to Christ. And these are the words that really ring true in our mind, that 
that say to us, oh, that's John Paul II. Um, but I had the opportunity to interview 23 different Polish people in Poland during my uh, junior year of college. And when I said these quotes, be not afraid or open wide the doors to Christ, they were familiar with them, but it didn't really strike their hearts. It was this quote that meant much more. Let your spirit descend, let your spirit descend and renew the face of the earth, the face of this land. Now for us Americans and for me on that trip, that was more of a new quote, but let me tell you where it comes from. St. John Paul II is known by Poles as a defender of freedom and as a son of Poland. As a bishop, Karol Wojtyla fought mightily against the communist regime and he continued his passionate resistance as Pope. For us here in the United States, we often think of his spiritual influence more, which is why we often probably focus on his spiritual quotes, like be not afraid. But these words, let your spirit descend, are the words that Pope John Paul II spoke during his closing remarks for his Pentecost homily in Victory Square, Warsaw. This was close to the end of his first visit back to Poland after his election to the papacy. Now, it was a big deal that he was able to go because just 13 years earlier, Pope Paul VI wanted to go back to Poland in order to celebrate the 1000 year Jubilee of Catholicism, the conversion of Poland, but he wasn't allowed to. But since John Paul II was Polish, they could only hold him off for so long before he was allowed to come back to, Pol to Poland as a Pole. Uh, now, when he went, this was monumental because the communists had been trying to suppress Christianity for many decades, and it was behind the Iron Curtain. So the idea of a Polish pope being able to go behind the Iron Curtain was, was completely new. Uh, more recently, last year, Pope Francis was able, or actually a couple years ago, Pope Francis was able to make up for the last anniversary of a thousand years by going to celebrate Poland's 1050th anniversary at World Youth Day. And that marked the extraordinary year, Jubilee Year of Mercy. And that, that news was global. But here's what John Paul II focused on when he was able to go to Poland. He, during this, this visit, it was predicted that no one would really turn out and so when it was also like free speech wasn't allowed. So Poles didn't realize how strong of a support they had. So when John Paul II arrived in Warsaw and there were tens of thousands of people waiting in Victory Square for this open air mass with him, the communists were really not happy and they did everything they could to focus on their media recordings on the event as if no one was there. So they would show these little outlying areas with maybe like a couple older people, but they didn't show the massive crowd that was just packed into the square on that Pentecost day. And when John Paul II spoke the words, let your spirit descend, let your spirit descend and renew the face of the earth, the face of this land, these words became the catalyst for the nonviolent Polish solidarity movement that eventually won Poland its freedom from communist rule. This was a defining and unforgettable moment for Poles. 
Often the people I talked to about this event would pause for a moment just to take in the memory once again of gathering with nearly half a million of their fellow citizens under a regime that did not allow free speech. All the people that spoke of this mass were convinced that it was this event that showed them the strength of the communist opposition. Before this time, people thought they were alone and they were afraid to speak out loud. But after this visit, they knew that they were millions strong. Over 10 million Poles attended at least one of Pope John Paul II's masses during his 1979 pilgrimage. Although Pope John Paul II did not tell the Poles to start a rebellion, he did emphasize creating an alternative Poland with non-governmental social institutions. This led to a series of strikes that caused the economy to plummet. Then in September of 1980, Lech Walesa founded the Solidarity Movement. This anti-communist independent trade union quickly grew to 9 million members, which was a fourth of Poland's population. Although the Soviet Union tried to crush Solidarity by banning it and arresting its leaders, the Catholic Church played a major role in helping it survive underground. The economic crisis became so great that by 1989, the Soviet Union could no longer maintain control over Poland. So Poland peacefully transitioned to a democratic country. Lech Walesa was elected president in 1990. And again, this is the story I most heard when I interviewed people in Poland. Yes, be not afraid resonates with Poles. Open wide the doors to Christ resonates with them. But it would not be an exaggeration to compare let your spirit descend, let your spirit descend, and renew the face of the earth, the face of this land, to the emotional reaction that many African Americans would have to Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. For Poles, Pope John Paul II's name is synonymous with freedom. What Pope John Paul II did to bring about the defeat of communism gives us a fuller image of him as a beloved countryman and defender of freedom. Now we're gonna focus on him today, Pope John Paul II, because as Andre Debuse says in one of his fictional stories, telling stories, the point of telling stories is to make the truth palpable and delightful. And what better way to make the truth of our current situation than the truth of what God wants for us, this renewal of our souls, than to focus on this great saint of our time, John Paul II, right after the Feast of Divine Mercy that he helped institute. We here today are not trying to overthrow a communist regime, but we do have an enemy in the coronavirus. And while we cannot see that enemy, John Paul II's words do echo true. Let your spirit descend, Lord, renew the face of this land, renew our people. Here and now we need spiritual renewal. As I mentioned last week, and I mentioned during our Lexio Divina today, we cannot be like the disciples in the upper room, cowering. The Holy Spirit has already come to us. So even though we may be in our rooms, we're there in a different way, filled with the Holy Spirit, with purpose, with mission, even if that mission is prayer for the world. That's huge. It's the, the highest calling is prayer. Um, that's why we have contemplative nuns. They give up all else that is good and monks in order to focus on that which is the best, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to pray and intercede for the world. 
So today we're going to look at two spiritual weapons we have in this time of, of suffering and time of seeking for hope. The first is Mary, our mother, who we particularly will honor in the month of May coming up. And the second, which we celebrated yesterday, is divine mercy. John Paul II said the day he canonized St. Faustina and instituted the Feast of Divine Mercy was the happiest day of his life. And so it's worth taking note. It's not something we celebrate just for the nine days leading up to the Feast of Divine Mercy. It's the culmination, the last day of the octave of Easter that we celebrate with as much solemnity and joy as Easter Day itself. And so it's worth noting so that we need to continue this entrustment of ourselves to divine mercy, especially in this time of suffering. So let's talk about Mary and entrustment first and continue to use John Paul II's life as an example for us on the power of the efficacy of trusting ourselves to Mary. Let's revisit May 13th, 1981. This is a day in which divine mercy through Mary's mediation saved the life of John Paul II. This is perhaps one of the most clear examples of Jesus's divine mercy through the mediation of, the, of Mary in the life of John Paul II. It occurred when he was shot three times during the beginning of his general audience on May 13, 1981, at precisely 5.13 p.m. The Pope fell into the arms of his personal secretary, Monsignor Jeevish, and later recalled, at that very moment I fell, I had this vivid presentiment that I should be saved. After John Paul II was rushed to the hospital, a group of Polish pilgrims placed the image of Our Lady of Czestochowa on the Pope's chair in St. Peter's Square. The wind blew the image over and the inscription written much prior to the audience could be read. May Our Lady protect the Holy Father from evil. Wow. A multitude of people remained in the square for over six hours praying the rosary until they heard word of the Pope's stable condition. The man who tried to kill him was a trained assassin who had fired at point blank range. The bullet only missed John Paul II's main abdominal artery by millimeters. If the bullet had hit this artery, John Paul II would have died before being transferred from the Pope Mobile to the ambulance. As it was, he survived. And when John Paul II was later able to meet his assassin in prison as a gesture of forgiveness, the assassin could not understand how the Pope survived and bluntly asked, why aren't you dead? John Paul II's response to all who wondered, one hand fired, another guided the bullet. This another was no other than his most blessed mother, Our Lady of Mercy. As George Weigel, the papal biographer, puts it, this was a confession of miraculous intervention that the most secular soul might have been tempted to concede. John Paul II recorded a message for the May 17th Angelus, ending it with, to you, Mary, I repeat, totus tuus ego sum, his papal motto, I am entirely yours, Mary, and all that I have is yours. This same day, he also became strong enough to begin concelebrating Mass from his bed. This connection between the Angelus, a prayer in honor of the Incarnation, 
the coming of Christ into the world, and the Eucharist is poetic. It's a reminder of the litany which John Paul II often recited from the time of his seminary days, which identifies Christ as both priest and victim, both this Eucharistic sacrifice as well as the physical reality of, of the pain that he was experiencing at that time, to be totally united to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross while celebrating the Eucharist. In a like manner to how Mary was present at the foot of Christ's cross, she was present to John Paul II in his suffering. And she's present to your suffering too. Whatever crosses you're carrying, Mary is present alongside her son. And sometimes we don't focus on that enough. I began by speaking in this section about divine mercy and devotion to divine mercy is also Marian because Mary is always present where her son is present. It's significant that St. Faustina's religious order is called the Sisters of Our Lady of Divine Mercy. It's not just the Sisters of Divine Mercy, but even before Jesus ever appeared to St. Faustina, they were called the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. Moreover, it's significant that John Paul II canonized St. Faustina as the first new saint of the new millennium and remarked that it was the happiest day of his life after doing so. Furthermore, John Paul II was not unaware of the significance of the date and time when he was shot, which is why I was so specific. 64 years earlier, on that very day, Mary began appearing to the children at Fatima. John Paul II made a pilgrimage to Fatima on the one-year anniversary of the assassination attempt in order to thank Mary for her intercession on his behalf, even giving the bullet which had failed to kill him to the shrine. The bishop there later placed the bullet in the crown of the statue of Our Lady of Fatima. It was a perfect fit. Here at Fatima, John Paul proclaimed that, quote, in the designs of divine providence, there are no mere coincidences. I thoroughly believe that. In the design of divine providence, there are no mere coincidences. And so we can ask ourselves here today in the suffering that we're experiencing, Lord, why now? If in the designs of your providence, there are no coincidences, why now? Why is this the time for us to experience the stay-at-home order? Why is this the time that so many people are getting sick? Why now? George Weigel summarizes John Paul II's sentiments well. The assassination attempt itself, the fact that it took place on the date of the first Marian apparition at Fatima, the reasons it took place, his survival, none of this was an accident. Just as the other incidents in his life, including his election to the papacy, had not been accidents. And this, he believed, was true for everyone. This historical event and John Paul II's statements surrounding it are a vivid testament to the efficacy of entrustment of oneself to Mary. Marian devotion is not simply something that we use as a tool that's sometimes effective. When we entrust ourselves to Mary at the the foot of the cross especially, it's extremely effective. We don't have a relationship with Mary just as a, a tool to be used either. Mary, although she always points to her son, 
there is merit in having a relationship with her herself, right? If you think about it, God never just, although he uh, asks us to take part in his will to bring others to Christ, he never just uses you as a tool to then be forgotten once that person arrives at Jesus. It's the same with Mary. God never uses Mary as simply a tool to be forgotten in order to arrive at divine mercy. Even when we arrive at the divine mercy of Jesus, there is merit and worth in having a relationship with our mother, Mary, who was given to us at the foot of the cross. In an address to the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy in Poland, John Paul II said that he believed divine mercy formed the image that's a quote, formed the image of his pontificate. Since these words can also be applied to his Marian devotion, it's not surprising that the two are connected. Father Michael Gately, who's an, a Marian father of the Immaculate Conception out, out east, uh, he released a book in 2015 that's dedicated to the connection between Mary and the mercy of God. In this book, Father Gately shows how Mary's whole being is directed towards bringing us to the mercy of God by bringing us to the side of Christ. I believe that John Paul II's devotion to Mary is what led him to the image of divine mercy. Mary led John Paul II to the merciful heart of her son. One way in which Mary acts as our teacher and guide is by showing her children how to share in the sufferings of Christ bringing her children not only closer to her Eucharistic heart, but more importantly, to the pierced side of the Eucharist itself, himself. John Paul II's papal coat of arms is emblematic of this truth. If you've seen it, there's, it's, a, it's a cross on the shield with a little M below, which symbolizes Mary. Mary always leads us to the foot of the cross because the cross is the center of the Christian life. The cross truly is our only hope. According to Father Chris Alter, who's also part of the, the same religious order as Father Michael Gately, he says that uh, there's great depth and great meaning in suffering, and that the fruit of suffering when, suffered, when we suffer well is hope. And so we can say, hail the cross, our only hope, because truly it is. It is through the cross that we reach the hope of the resurrection. It's through the cross, the trials of this life, that we're tested, we're tried in fire, so that we may grow in virtue and one day be in heaven with God forever. Now again, God never wills suffering, but he uses that suffering for our sanctification, for our holiness. The virtue of hope is often depicted as an anchor. And the middle of this anchor is the cross. If you think of the shape of an anchor, it's got the the two bars with the, the anchor part underneath. You wouldn't have an effective anchor if you didn't have the cross as a part of it. The cross truly is our only hope. It's what grounds us. It's what makes us most fully Christian. So let's continue to talk about John Paul II's devotion to Mary. As St. John Paul II neared the end of his life, he contracted influenza. This led to an acute attack of respiratory distress that resulted in an emergency tracheotomy. When John Paul II awoke from anesthesia, still unable to talk, he scrawled on a piece of paper, but I am always totus tuus. Nearly, meaning totally yours, Mary. Near death, barely conscious, 
and John Paul II once again entrusted his life to Mary. While these were not his last words, they very well could have been. A man's dying words reveal his heart, and these hearts, these words reveal the heart of John Paul II. Now I think about all those suffering from the coronavirus. How beautiful would it be if, if they were had to be placed on a respirator to be able to, in their heart, truly believe, like, I'm totally yours, Mary, like John Paul II did, or Jesus, I trust in you, to even in suffering, not despair, but to hope and to know that the Lord is with you at the cross. It's widely known that Pope John Paul II's Episcopal and Papal model was totally, totus tuus, totally yours, Mary. He had a Marian devotion from the time of his youth. When he was a young boy, his, his mom died, and there's a story that he went in front of a statue of Mary and said, you must be my mother now. And this devotion was inspired by his Polish heritage. It was informed by his theological studies, and it was bolstered by his travels throughout the world as Pope. Pope John Paul II died on the Vigil of Divine Mercy Sunday in 2005. Now, liturgically speaking, that would have been about 15 years ago, and like Saturday night, like this last Saturday. When he, after he had died, um, he had already written his message that he was planning to say that Divine Mercy Sunday in St. Peter's Square. And since he had already written it, it was proclaimed. In this message, John Paul II once more concluded by speaking of his Blessed Mother, a tradition of his, but his final words were dedicated to Christ. The, the liturgical solemnity of the Annunciation that we will be celebrating tomorrow urges us to contemplate with Mary's eyes the immense mystery of this merciful love that flows from the heart of Christ. With her help, we will be able to understand the true meaning of Easter joy that is based on this certainty. The one whom the Virgin bore in her womb who suffered and died for us, is truly risen. Alleluia. To his last words, John Paul II showed us that Mary never abandons us as our mother, mother of the Redeemer, of the Church, and mother of mercy. She is the woman of the Eucharist. Moreover, John Paul II once again encourages us to trust in her help as our model and as our teacher, most importantly as our mother, for she always leads us to her son. You need to remember Mary's last words. Do whatever he tells you. Yesterday, we celebrated Divine Mercy Sunday, and I'm sure many of you took part in the devotion. John Paul II called mercy love's other name. Mercy is an exchange in which both the person receiving the mercy and the person giving it receive a gift. When God or someone else has mercy on us, it's a type of bending down that's not one of humiliation. Rather, it lifts both people involved in such a way that there's a mutual sharing in that mercy. True mercy looks more like developing a relationship with someone in particular, because perhaps they are poor in spirit or in material goods, and it's serving them, looking upon them with love and allowing them to love you back. Mercy is much less an abstract concern for the poor that has pity, but not love. Again, mercy is not about being lofty above someone else, bestowing your mercy upon them. 
if it was, God would not have come to earth. He could have just been merciful and stayed in heaven. But that's more like pity, like looking upon someone else and saying, oh, I'll give you some money because I pity you, but I'm not going to have a relationship with you. Mercy is relational so that the person who gives and the person who receives are on a same, the same level, that they, the person who has the ability to initially bestow the mercy must bend down themselves, must lower themselves to then be able to give and receive and repair the relationship. Mercy is not pity. Again, that's why God came down to us at the incarnation. If he wanted to just take pity on us, he could have stayed in heaven and forgiven our sins. But he wanted to have true mercy, which is relational. Again, love's other name is mercy. So he came down, he bent down so that he could be with us on the same level, to be one with us, to restore our relationship with God. That's true mercy. Mercy is a true relationship of love. It's mutual self-gift. St. John Paul II's relationship to the message of divine mercy is different than his Marian devotion because the theology of the divine mercy is so new for Poland. If you go to Poland, you'll see that Mary is everywhere. Before I went, I thought that the U.S. had a strong Marian devotion or perhaps even Italy. It doesn't compare to Poland. They actually compare Mary to, or they, they proclaim her to be their queen. And they have all these Marian processions, Mary's everywhere. It's just huge Marian devotion. So John Paul II had a very natural Marian uh, devotion because he grew up in it. But divine mercy was different because it was so new. St. Faustina uh, received these images of, of Jesus appearing to her in the early 1900s. And that's when, about the same time that John Paul II was born. And it, it took a while for the divine mercy uh, devotion to spread because, uh, first of all, the church is always kind of wary about new apparitions or uh, new developments in private revelation. And so it just takes time for the church to sort it out and to realize that it's authentic, which was a big part of John Paul II's job. Uh, I got to talk with one of Sister Faustina's sisters when I was in Poland. I stayed with the sisters, and since I was a theology student, they actually let me stay in one wing of their convent that they use as a guest house instead of the, the big uh, Divine Mercy kind of hotel that they have there. Uh, and I asked for an interview with some of the sisters. One of them, Sister Gaudia, spoke to me at length about the connection of St. John Paul II with the, with the spread of the Divine Mercy image. Sister Gaudia said that the Divine Mercy devotion was not well known when young Karol Wojtyla began to pray in front of the image every day during World War II. So he'd get done with his work that he had to do so he wouldn't be deported somewhere else. And then he would go pray at the, the chapel of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. And he saw this image and it struck him. She said that John Paul II did not know anything about the image at first, but that he was drawn to the peculiarity of the image. This image was peculiar at the time because Poles were not used to seeing Jesus depicted in paintings barefoot with simple clothes and words imprinted below on the painting in their own language. Jesus, I trust in you. It would have been much more common to see Jesus uh, lifted up in a sort of a, a kingly atmosphere 
and to see the word, words in Latin, because at that point, the church mostly only spoke Latin. And so to see in Polish, this language that's only spoken there, Jesus, I trust in you on this very raw, close image of Jesus in these simple robes, barefoot, was pretty startling. Uh, Jesus is king, but Jesus being so approachable, stepping forward toward, in, towards you in the painting, that was, that was pretty striking. The sisters referred to uh, this young seminarian as Wojtyla's uh, theology of divine mercy. Uh, because he was pondering this image so much, thinking about it in, in a new way. And eventually, this attracted the attention of St. Faustina's sisters so much that they made the unusual move of including a note about the young priest's words in their official records from that year. These facts are what led me to conclude that Pope John Paul II's devotion to divine mercy began as something personal rather than part of his Polish, Polish religious upbringing, as his Marian devotion was. St. John Paul II's discovery and private devotion of the image led to the great impact he had on the spread of the Divine Mercy devotion throughout Poland and later to the world by canonizing St. Faustina as the first saint in the new millennium. Think about how different our knowledge of Divine Mercy could possibly be if John Paul II had not become Pope, and if Jesus had not appeared to a nun that happened to live in the same town that John Paul II did while he was in his college years. We might not know about it nearly as much if in the designs of divine providence, being no mere coincidences, Jesus hadn't ordained that all of these specific events would happen to allow divine mercy to reach us here today in the United States in the 21st century. Now, divine mercy is the core of the gospel. It's not that Jesus was teaching anything new. It's that in a certain way, he was repackaging the message for us to make it more attractive. I heard uh, Father Chris Altar recently share a story about his younger sister, who when they were little, really loved Frosted Flakes because she liked the box. She thought she liked the color of it and the, the tiger. And then when his mom bought the uh, abstract brand, I guess, with just a simple box, then she wouldn't eat it because she said they weren't good. Now, they were basically the same, which meant that his mom later decided, well, I'm going to use the name brand box and I'm going to put the generic uh, frosted flakes in the name brand box. And then the little kid would eat them. It's kind of the same with divine mercy. It's not that the message is any new, newer than it has always been, just that Jesus decided to repackage it for our times to hit our hearts more deeply, because divine mercy is the core of the gospel. There's an inexhaustible treasure trove of stories that I could tell you about John Paul II, but I hope that listening to these snapshot stories has made the truth of his life, palpable and delightful so that we can apply those truths to our life, to hope, to trust in Mary, to trust in divine mercy, and to know that the cross is the center of the Christian message through which our hope is born. 
when I when we when I think of the divine mercy image and devotion, I think we often forget to include Mary enough. I I think that it's no coincidence that Jesus appeared to a sister who was part of the sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. We need to include Mary more in our thoughts about divine mercy. We need to remember that Mary is always at her son's side. She was at the foot of the cross. She suffered other than Jesus probably more than any other human did to imagine seeing your, your son dying on a cross, knowing that he's God. And so she, she understands us and she's with us in our need. In 2014, I was able to study at the same university as St. John Paul II in Rome. It was called the Angelicum. And um, when I was studying there, I liked to sit out in the school garden and I would pick oranges from the trees, which was allowed and just eat oranges and do my studies. And I later found out that that was John Paul II's favorite spot at the university. And he used to always pick oranges from those same trees and eat them while studying, as many students did. And this was really striking to me because I realized I've got something very simple in common with John Paul II. Uh, and that's, that's the truth of the saints. They're much more like us than we ever could imagine. When I was in Poland, I got to interview two of John Paul II's friends that he would go on secret camping trips with uh, during the communist occupation. And he, they would describe John Paul II as their uncle since they couldn't call him father during these trips because it was illegal to do any type of youth ministry at that time. And I asked them if they could choose one word to describe their uncle, John Paul II, what would they choose? And without hesitation, they said, holy, this is everything. And I pray that holiness might be our everything and that we might realize that John Paul II still is a source of fatherly guidance. I also got to interview uh, Cardinal Stanislaus Jewish, John Paul II's longtime friend and personal secretary for 40 years. And I asked him if he had any advice. And he said, my advice for you is to consider John Paul II your friend. As simple as that. Even though the saints are in heaven, they can befriend us yet here and now. They can be there for us as our inspiration guide and prayer warriors during these challenging, challenging times. I cannot stress the friendship of the saints enough. You do not need to feel alone. You have all these brothers and sisters praying for you in heaven who are quite like us. We need to remember that the same John Paul II who helped to non-violently overthrow communism in Poland is the same St. John Paul II who loved to sit in gardens and eat oranges. He's the same saint who lost his entire family by the age of 20 and clandestinely joined the seminary who also loved to act and sing. The same saint who instituted the luminous mysteries of the rosary and canonized St. Faustina is the same saint who loved to ski in the mountains and canoe in the summer. We often have more in common with the saints when we realize. When we read St. Lives, we're often reading the highlight reels, the things that are notable that really show us their holiness. But we don't, what we don't often see, see is their humanity. No saint was sinless except Mary. We know that they had struggles. We know that 
even if the the biographer kind of exaggerated and made it seem like they never struggled with their decisions we know that they did they were human we know that being human is is difficult to to learn how to overcome trials so that we may triumph in holiness which is way more practical way more down to earth than we often give it credit for there's holiness in balance even there's holiness in john paul ii sitting in a garden enjoying the the beautiful creation of god that is italy and eating an orange that that happens to be free so i want to pray with john paul ii as he did with all of poland let your spirit descend let your spirit descend lord and renew the face of the earth the face of this land saint john paul ii pray for us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, we place our trust in you. Help us to grow in our understanding of your divine mercy. Help us to be open to receiving your mercy and to giving the gift of our love to you. May our Mother Mary cover us in her mantle. May we know that we are loved by her, that we are her children. And may this world uh, Get rid of the coronavirus, or at least the pandemic, very soon. <clears throat> very soon. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Thank have you. a wonderful week, everyone. See you Thank next you. time. Well